Innovation happens at breakneck speed in digital health. In fact, things change so fast it can be tough to stay in the know. I looked and looked for a podcast that was dedicated to showcasing the hottest products, companies, and trends, and it didn't exist. So I created it. This is the Bleeding Edge of Digital Health, and I'm your host, Mike Moore. Welcome to another episode of the Bleeding Edge of Digital Health. Really excited about today's guests. We've got uh, Rohan Kalahasti and Sai Matapali from Vital AI. How are you guys doing today? Pretty great. How are you? Great, great. Well, this is a first for me. I've never had a couple of teenagers on the show. Uh, you guys are both your seniors at uh, at Thomas Jefferson, right? Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, no, I was excited. Uh, this whole thing kind of came about based on uh, the Forbes article that you posted about uh, the technology you guys are building at Vital AI, which obviously I was really excited about and, and reposted. And uh, I was super excited to be able to pull this together. Before we get into the technology and whatnot, everybody always seems to learn how the sausage is made, so to speak, uh, and how this whole thing came together. It's obviously a really unique story, um, pretty unbelievable story. But uh, Rohan, why don't you um, kick us off by just telling kind of the origin story of how things came together and and Sai, how maybe you can jump in afterwards and let us know how you got involved. So I guess to kind of start at like the start of high school, I've always personally been super interested in the artificial intelligence space. I've done a lot of work on various different projects, you know, competing in things like science fair with AI projects and doing a few internships here and there, you know, really utilizing AI and applying it to solve issues in the medical space. And Vital was actually born out of an internship I did over at Harvard Medical School. And at that internship, I read for the first time about the linkages between eye movements and changes in your brain health. But what I realized from reading all these papers is that Right now, the whole medical community is not able to take advantage of those eye movement biometrics to help evaluate brain health because to actually calculate those eye movement biometrics, you need these super expensive headsets. They can range from like $5,000-ish all the way up to like $30,000. And it's all because of this one company called Toby, who is, they're a huge company, but they've really jacked up the prices on these eye movement headsets. So that whole field really needs to be democratized. And after I did more reading, I stumbled across a bundle of research all about creating these AI-based gaze tracking technologies that could be implemented on a smartphone or a laptop. And I sort of combined those two ideas and said, hey, you know, can we use that AI-based gaze tracking technology to essentially democratize the usage of eye movement biometrics? And that was where the idea for Vital was born. And eventually, I ended up bringing up the idea to Sai because I knew that Sai had a lot of experience in both the finance and entrepreneurship field. And I knew from past experiences that we really do make a great duo when it comes to working on these projects. So that's how Vital was kind of born. And before you jump in here, Sai, did you form this when you were doing your internship or did you take what you learned from that internship, come back and then kind of formulate it all in your head? It was done while I was at the internship. It wasn't exactly a part of the internship itself. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of using what I learned from that internship, but it was definitely kind of a simultaneous thing. Got it. And how'd you get involved, Sai? Yeah. So like Rohan said, as he was going down the AI route, I was similarly going down more of like the pure neuroscience route. 
in ninth and 10th grade, I served as a neuroscience research intern at Georgetown. So that really gave me a strong understanding of the biological basis behind the tech we're building at Vital. And I'd say what really drew me in at a higher level, like not specific to the technology, was what exactly drew us to entrepreneurship was we realized research never really got anywhere in the world, right? You know, we were doing this, these amazing research projects at, you know, these amazing universities, but all of them ended at the publication stage, right? We worked almost for a year. We published the paper, presented at a conference, and we were lucky if maybe 10 people cited our paper, right? And that's when we realized that to actually push our research and these products that we're building that we think could really change the world, we needed the capital that startups could bring, right? Just to get around FDA barriers, legal barriers, and to really democratize something and have it be used in the real world. We just knew that we had to go down the entrepreneurship route. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, you guys are learning a lot of the, a lot of the lessons early on in life that many entrepreneurs are faced with at, you know, 30, 40, 50 years old. So it's definitely commendable. And yeah, the eye tracking and speech recognition space is, is fascinating. It's in terms of digital health, it's one of the spaces that I think is probably the most compelling right now, just because the technology in large part is good enough that we can actually impact healthcare. A lot of these technologies, they're what I call concept technologies, you know, in certain spaces within digital health, but this is something that actually can be enacted today and actually make a difference. So along those lines, so what is the specific use case for what you guys are building? What's the problem you're trying to solve? Yeah. So again, Rohan Sally touched on this with his first response, but essentially eye tracking in the brain health space has existed for a long time. But it's not really being used at the scale that it could be because of the barrier that's added by these expensive headsets, right? So the primary target of what we're trying to do is democratize ocular biometrics as a tool for diagnostics in the brain health space, right? And ocular biometrics can be used for a variety of things, whether it's, you know, on the sports field or for clinical trials or even in the neurologist's office, right? So it's not necessarily geared towards just diagnosing a certain type of neurogenitive illness, but it's more so to spread the awareness and the viability of ocular biometrics. Have you guys, um, and we can we can get into this a little bit after that. Well, it's probably, yeah, we'll get into that after the technology piece, but I, I'd love, you know, people always love to see kind of tangibly what the product is, what, you know, what you guys are doing, what the technology looks like. If you guys can, I, I think you've got a screen share there. Can you just um, mm -hmm. kind of pull that up and kind of walk us through what one of the tests might look like and, you know, and what is delivered to the patient after the test, what they do with that. Is this going to be a browser-based exclusive technology or are you guys going to be building an app for it? Yeah. So right now our app is browser-based and that's what our beta is built for. In the future, maybe one or two years down the line, we do want to sort of expand to a smartphone app, but what we've realized is that the laptop is really a better piece of tech to build on for this specific use case mm -hmm. rather than a smartphone. Because, because the screen size of the smartphone is so limited, it actually limits the amount of biometrics that we can calculate. So we can get a much more comprehensive view of a person's overall brain health by using the laptop to actually calculate biometrics. Yeah, that makes perfectly good sense. Does the camera that's available for the laptop versus the iPhone, does that make a difference as well? It being a better camera on the on the laptop, does that make a difference in terms of the capability of, of the test? 
Well, the laptop webcam is what we've done most of our testing on, and that's what we've verified our current gaze tracking algorithms on. So we know that the average laptop webcam is good enough for our purposes. Yeah. Smartphone front-facing cameras are a bit more variable in their overall quality. Yeah, um, no, the so question, yeah, I was just wondering if that's why you guys maybe played oh, into yeah. why you chose the web-based, and it sounds like it was. It was. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. The phone cameras are, are good and getting there, but not great yet. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so I guess to give like some information about what Sai is doing on the screen right now, he's currently calibrating a personalized gaze tracker for himself. So what our app does before you take any tests is we take data from you personally to essentially train a gaze tracker for you that works very well. And that's kind of how we're able to get these very accurate gaze predictions. But after you do the calibration of the gaze tracker, we have to do one other step, which is distance calculation. So we essentially use data about the sizes of your iris to try to calculate how far you are away from the screen. And that's what Sai just finished up doing right now. Okay. So I guess to give like an overview, we run four tests, specifically fixation, prosecades, anticades, and smooth pursuit. So what you're looking at right now is a very, very simple test. It's called fixation. All you have to do is stare at the middle of the screen while the background essentially fades into the color of the middle cross. And it's essentially testing how well you can fixate on the point as it kind of blends in over time. The overall kind of battery of tests takes around eight to 10 minutes, depending on how good your gaze tracker is, because sometimes it'll make you recalibrate if we find that it's not good enough. Okay. But the doctor will actually be able to modulate how many tests they think a patient will need. It can really range anywhere from like 30 seconds to a minute all the way to 10 minutes. So this test is called the smooth pursuit test. It's also very simple. All you have to do is track the dot as it moves around the screen. So it's not jumping around, hence the word smooth pursuit. Got it. Would a physician encourage a patient? This isn't a prescription technology at this point, right? It's not. It's really dependent on the use case. We do imagine some doctors having their patients use this and actually telling them to use it as they see fit. But right now, we're kind of imagining it as a way for consumers to kind of look at their overall brain health and really get some information on whether or not they should go see a neurologist to check up on their overall brain health. Yeah, yeah. And then while I was screen sharing, I just obviously showed fixation and the start of Smooth Pursuit. But, you know, if any of the listeners would like to run through the entire app, it's currently open for beta testing at app.vital.ai. That's spelled V-Y-T-A-L dot Got it. And do you guys envision that eventually there will be a regulatory component to this? Do you envision what are some of the um, applications? You know, let's say, let's say you said a, a doctor might encourage a patient to utilize this. What are some of the applications? Is it uh, Parkinson's? Is it any type of movement disorder? Is it dementia? What, what are some of the applications that this type of a test can, can uncover? Yeah. So in terms of drawing indications for certain neurogenerative diseases, uh, I guess the analogous tool would be a blood pressure machine, right? Similar to how it doesn't directly output a diagnosis, but instead it outputs metrics that a doctor can then interpret. That's how we primarily envision our tool being used, at least from a clinical perspective. We mm -hmm. envision it being used in a way where 
it's just outputting metrics that isn't really inter- that aren't really interpretable by the you know patient, but it's more so interpretable by the doctor or by the neurologist. And this is two things. One, it reduces the pushback from doctors because the you know the power is still in their hands. Right. And all we're doing is we're adding another tool to add to their you know diagnostic pipeline. And we think this would definitely also help curb a lot of the skepticism that's currently revolving around AI in healthcare because you know we're able to comfort patients that this tool isn't making a diagnosis, but it's just helping your doctor make you know the human-led diagnoses. It's more information. Exactly. And I mean, even outside of the neurologist's office, you know, it could also, there's a huge market actually for it to be used in clinical trials, you know, especially recently with there being Alzheimer's drugs finally being approved by the FDA. There is a huge need for quantitative ways to track the regression of these diseases, right? Because if a pharmaceutical company out there is saying that, you know, our drug works this, you know, this well, right? People are going to want to see numbers associated with that, right? And currently, obviously, qualitative assessment is the leading way to, you know, track Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. So we, it'll definitely help to have a tool like ours to quantitatively over time show how exactly the disease is being regressed thanks to the drug. So Yeah, any time there's a, a, whether it's a device or a pharmaceutical or a biotechnology product, any time that it's approved, I think that's the one thing that the FDA likes to see is that there's a way to measure, is this really working in the market, right? Is it working the way that it was intended when it was submitted to the FDA? So that makes perfectly good sense. What about concussion? I would think that there would be a serious application for even the NFL, you know, um, mm-hmm. trying to figure out, A, maybe does a patient or the player have a, a concussion, but also how is their functioning? Like if you could get a baseline with this before they got a concussion at the beginning of the season, and then, you know, if they get a concussion, what's their, you know, return to work or return to play, right? Is there an application you guys are looking at there? Yeah. So currently with how Neuros is set up, it's not fully geared towards concussions or specifically anything on the field, because obviously it's a laptop based application, which may be harder for physical trainers to carry around. But mm-hmm. our our tool is robust enough for future implementation, and let's say even a smartphone, right? So even with the limited metrics, we're sure that we can at least output the respective metrics for concussion diagnoses, right? And the interesting thing is the current ways that a lot of trainers, you know, identify concussions in the first place is pretty, you know, similar to how our app is working, right? They often have players like track their fingers, which is essentially, again, a proxy for how our app yep. works, right? So we're basically just replicating what a human would do on the field, but obviously taking away, you know, that adrenaline that the trainer may be feeling or the pressure from the player or the coach, right? So we're going to make it a lot more objective. So yep. that's definitely something to look forward to. But the only unfortunate thing with that is there's a lot of barriers to implement anything in the sports field, right? Especially with the NFL. So yeah. it'll probably be, you know, a couple of years down the line after it's been validated at a couple of hospitals at an early stage. But that's definitely something we've thought about and even talked to some of our advisors about. So, Do you guys have an example of what the metrics look like? Like what's the report look like? Yeah, so I can pull that up right now. So this is just an example of a biometrics report from one of our beta testers that we got permission to share. So these are shad ball, you know, normal range numbers, but you get biometrics for every single test you take. So these are the biometrics associated with fixation, these are the biometrics associated with Smith Pursuit. And those numbers that are next to it, are the, those are the what are considered to be normal ranges, I'm guessing? Yeah, those are the normal ranges as found in published literature. Got it. 
yeah, so just a couple of graphs. Those are obviously probably not interpretable by the normal person, right? They would need right. to be interpreted by a doctor. But there's a bunch of those graphs too. And then the final set of biometrics we have are related to saccades. As you can see, this person did very well. She had perfect scores on both the anti-saccade task and the pro-saccade task. But that's essentially how the biometrics report looks. One thing that we're working on adding and building out right now is some sort of interpretation of these biometrics that can be understood by a normal person, right? I mean, a normal person can understand all these different biometrics just by looking at it. So we want to give a two to three sentence output, sort of giving a rundown of everything. But yeah. And I think that's a great idea. If for no other reason, it lets them know what they might be able to discuss with their physician or whatnot, you know, because everybody right now is is so into directing their own healthcare and taking control of their own healthcare. So if they if if you guys have a little blurb about what this could potentially, you know, this is something that you might want to talk to your doctor about, gives them an ability to direct that conversation. What is it that these people are supposed to do once they get this report? Then they take it to their physician and have that conversation at that, you know, at the next appointment or whatnot, or, and is this a one-time thing or do you guys recommend like ongoing? I mean, is this the type of thing where you're constantly checking your blood pressure? You might as well be checking your, your mental health as well. Yeah. So let's say, I guess to answer your first question, let's say you get a result of possible cognitive decline, right? That's something that you should definitely see your doctor about, especially if it's been paired by, you know, maybe comments from your family about your forgetfulness in the past few few months and things right. like that. Right? right. So it can be used as a push to get someone to actually go to a neurologist and get checked out to make sure that they're doing okay. So that's kind of how we expect that process to look like. And then to your other question, so longitudinal tracking is something that's very, very important in medicine, right? It's really important to set baselines over time for your values because those values are going to be different or those baselines are going to be different from person to person, from ethnicity to ethnicity, right? right? So it's definitely something that we hope will catch on and people will start to do maybe even monthly, right? I mean, it's such an easy test to take. It's not expensive. And that'll really help people set those baselines because in medicine, you have to consider everything relatively to the past, right? right. And so I guess that's how we're thinking of that. It's just like anything, right? It's just, uh, that's why these full body scans are are becoming so in vogue because you can get a full body scan. And at least you've got a, a baseline of like, this is what it looked like at a certain point in time. And then moving forward, if there's changes, then it doesn't necessarily mean you have cancer. It doesn't necessarily mean you have something, but something's different. And that's probably exactly. what you guys are trying to accomplish, I think. What, uh, this is fascinating. You got, what you guys have created is, is absolutely incredible. What's the commercial model for this and what, and, and what will it look like moving forward for you guys? Who would, we kind of touched on who would use it and, and, but who would pay for it? How, you know, where's the money going to change hands? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So from a business model perspective, we're definitely going to do a hybrid B2C and B2B model, right? The B2C model is primarily for, you know, just general people who are interested in using it for themselves. Um, but from our market research, we found that very few companies in the medical space are able to, at the current stage, are able to really develop a business completely around B2C. I think one of the only examples is Cardia for potentially, you know, a company that's able to work fully B2C. And the issue is, again, as touched on earlier, the skepticism that currently surrounds medical tech 
is so rampant to the point where a lot of people aren't going to go even as far as downloading an app or trusting a computer telling them about their health, right? Which is why we think it's important to include a B2C model, but for further reliance and I guess viability from a revenue perspective, we're going to include a B2B licensing plan, right? Where we directly are forming contracts with either hospital chains like Mayo Clinic or Kaiser or even like smaller clinics, right? And that's where we think we have the largest value because even for hospitals, this is an amazing return for them from a profit margin perspective, right? Because by adding a filter in the middle for people who are on the fence about whether they need to go as extreme as taking like an MRI or a more in-depth scan for their brain health, it saves them a lot of time, saves them a lot of money. So that's, I guess, our business model. It's to do a B2C and B2B. So we're pretty much covering all of our bases for anyone who may be interested in paying for our services. Have you have you guys looked at like calling on uh, large corporations at all, or even uh, the payers themselves? Because I would think that this would be something you know, payers might be interested in having a certain population, sixty five and above, or whatnot. Because everything is all about early diagnosis these days, right? You want to know what you're dealing with. The payers want to know what they're dealing with it so that they can get ahead of it. I would think, have you guys looked into that at all? Yeah, I mean, we definitely have. And I think going back to like the early diagnosis thing, I think a large part of it is also just fear, especially with neurogenitive diseases, right? A lot of people even knowing about a family history or knowing about all these signs they're scared to even step into the doctor's office because they're scared of what they might hear, right? And that's why adding a tool like ours reduces that friction to the point where it's a lot more comfortable, right? Like sitting in the comfort of their home, they're able to check their brain health, right? Instead of having to go to an office, you know, wait for their doctor for like 30 minutes, walk into like this white room with like this scary appointment. And just getting the appointment is a a challenge these days, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yep. So yeah, no, I totally, I totally agree. What's next for you guys? What do you have coming down the pipe? Any expanded indications or new products? Yeah. So on the new product side of things, as I said before, we hope to go down the smartphone route in the coming years. And that's something that we've been prototyping on the side and we have a couple of things built out, but it's not something that we're planning to push out in the near future, but more um, like close plans. We hope to launch our full product hopefully at the you know first quarter of 2024 because we've been doing vigorous beta testing and we're you know we're getting through all those bugs and we're trying to get this ready to actually launch. So that's something that everyone can look forward to in the coming months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then even from a, I guess from a personal perspective, like thinking long term after Vital, even I think I can speak for both Rohan and I when I say that we definitely want to continue down the healthcare entrepreneurship space because we think it's one of the most fulfilling spaces to be in right now, right? Um, especially, you know, from us, we've been able to speak to people who are currently, you know, under the duress of a neurodegenerative disease, and they've been able to actually thank us for, you know, working in this space because they appreciate how important it is to get an early diagnosis. So that's definitely been a really rewarding part of this journey for Rohan and I. So, you know, we're definitely hoping to continue to build in this space for as long as we can. Yeah. No, I, I mean, listen, I, I talk to CEOs and founders every day and we always joke that, you know, like if you're in it for the money, healthcare is not the place to be. It takes a <laughs> long time to build something in healthcare with the regulatory components. Anytime you're working in a regulated space, it's going to be a protracted period of time. But that's the neat thing about what we do is is, is the p- people that are in this industry are passionate about it. They're passionate about helping people and 
you know, it takes people like you guys that have brilliant minds and and a will and an interest in changing the world to enact that kind of benefit. So it's really, really neat, guys. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. I'd be remiss. I know the audience is probably wondering what are these, you know, what are these guys doing next? Are they going to end up going to college? What uh, do you guys want to share a little bit about personal plans and is uh, college going to be on hold until you figure out what you're going to do here with Vital? Yeah. I mean, both Sai and I are thinking about taking a gap year to, you know, try to see what's going to happen with Vital. And based on that gap year, we might not go to college at all. And we might just, you know, go full force for Vital. But we also are keeping college on the horizon because we both know it's a great place to meet a lot of great people, right? I mean, both Sai and I are well aware of the fact that most of our success is because we had great friends in high school who are also, you know, very, very intelligent who helped push us forward. And we really do want to continue to be in environments like those. So that's kind of like a guiding principle for us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no matter what you guys get into, I'm sure it'll be highly successful and wishing you guys the best of luck on this. Let's, uh, I'd love to keep it open, the lines of communication open. And if, uh, if you guys, uh, after you get this thing out, and up and running in the marketplace. I'd love to have you guys back on the on the show for a recap. But um, thanks again for coming on the show, Rohan Kalahasti and Sai Matapali with Vital AI. That's it for this edition of the Bleeding Edge of Digital Health, and we'll catch you guys next time. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. Listen, if you enjoyed the show, please hit that subscribe button and leave us a review and rating. That'll let others know the show is definitely worth checking out. Also, if there's a product, company, or trend you'd like to see featured on the show, just shoot me an email. My address will be in the show notes. Take care and I'll catch you next time.